January 8th, and we are underway this hour. It's Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson along with you this hour of Flamestock from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple and Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, Wes? Another week begins. Feels like Monday. Sure does, and uh, Wolf Sunday was no good in Chicago. You. Bit of a reality check, perhaps. I, I, I wonder if... I, I know I saw that from a lot of fans. I know I saw that on social. I know I saw that on the text line a lot. Bit of a reality check because there was a lot of excitement on this road trip to start. They go into Minnesota, quality win. They go into Nashville, quality win. Back above 500, right back in the thick of this playoff race. And they accomplish a goal that they've been talking about for a long time. Then... uh. I don't, I don't want to even say the Philly game was a step back because it was a hard-fought game, spicy game. Flyers were a little bit better, but second straight one-goal game against the Flyers. Uh, th- those two teams pretty evenly matched. Flames won on New Year's Eve, and the Flyers win six days later. But it's that Sunday game in Chicago that's sticking in a lot of craws. And just listen to, uh, here was Jonathan Huberto with us post-game on Sunday. It's a tough one to solve. I mean, uh, I think, you know, we... It's a game that we got to win, and uh, obviously it's on a back-to-back with tough luck last night, and then we come out and play that game, a lot of turnovers, so I think, uh, you know, we, deserve, we, deserve, we didn't deserve to win, and, uh, you know, we got to think it's a tough trip for us, you know, finish up the, the, this way, but we got to go home and win that one against Ottawa. And uh, Michael Backlund was even more succinct with uh, his thoughts post-game in Chicago. If you want to be a playoff team, that's a game we got to win, uh, find a way to win. Um that wasn't good enough. So it's one game. I, I understand that. In the standings, it means as much as the loss to Philly does. I mean, it's it's one game in the standings. But it, it feels like the um, intangible toll of that one is a little higher. Um, because th- those are the games that can really be kicks in the gut when... You have an opportunity to do something. You have an opportunity to go three out of four on the road. You have an opportunity to finish off with a a quality win. And you can look back on it and say, yeah, we lost in Philly. But you know what? We played well that day as well. But you lose to that roster in that fashion. Yeah, that um, that one feels like it has more of an impact than just one game. And maybe we're guilty of putting too much into it. You know, the only place that I would disagree with you, buddy, is I I think you viewed the loss to the Flyers on Saturday as a little bit better performance than I did. Maybe, maybe I'm a, maybe, (laughs) maybe with how bad Sunday was, Saturday looks bad because now that I think about it, as we were text, I mean, they, they were, they were kind of on their heels and the second best team on the ice for, Good chunk of the final forty minutes, so that that also is a a fair rebuttal that I will uh, absolutely concede to you. And, and I think that's part of what makes it such a difficult loss to swallow. To use the term that Jonathan Huberto chose, is that it was a second consecutive lackluster performance from a team that hasn't cheated on effort very often. And then you just look at at who they were playing against, right? Like we, I, you and I chatted on the pregame show about who wasn't in Chicago's yeah. lineup, right? That was the entire storyline going into Sunday. Well, no Connor Bedard, no Nick Felino. They were without nine regulars. They were without their best defenseman and Seth Jones. And so for the Calgary Flames to look from my vantage point, like a team that thought they could coast to victory against an inferior opponent... I think if that wasn't a, a reality check, it was certainly a reality reinforcement that the Flames aren't that much more talented than any team in the league that they can just expect to show up and take the two points. And, and for those of us like myself who are watching the Sportsnet broadcast, 
I was really intrigued by what Don Maloney said at the first intermission when he talked about losing three games to the Blackhawks last season. And he said that was part of the messaging going into the game is, hey, there's no excuse not to be ready against a team that's had our number. Well, the Calgary Flames didn't look ready, did they? No, I, they, they, I, I didn't like their first four or five minutes. Uh, the Hawks scored. That kind of woke the Flames up. They had the disallowed goal. Then they had the, the Kadri goal to tie it. They got the power play goal, which was more of a happy feed Peter Morazic than anything else to make it 2-1. And then again, you know, the, the Hawks, and, and Megan Mickelson said something very shortly after the Manjapani goal to make it 2-1 on the broadcast. She said, you know, don't expect the Hawks to go away just because they're down one, because that's the one thing that you really, uh, that, that, that was very noticeable from the get-go was, hey, this Chicago team, they they know what everybody's saying, right? and they know they just lost Connor Bedard. So it felt like they, they had were there a, to work. They, and that's just it. They, they had a, a point to prove, and they were proving it with their work rate. And that work rate was very noticeable from the opening puck drop, and it was very noticeable in the following shift following the power play goal that gave the Flames the 2-1 lead. And I just said, I, I, I nodded my head when Megan said that. I was like, yeah. That's like they—they they don't look like they're going away. This is not going to be a—it's uh, it's not going to be easy for the lead to just go three, four, five, one. It feels like the Flames are going to have to keep working, and the Hawks did. They got a couple bounces to make a two-two and three-two, and I was really disappointed in that third period from Calgary. And I, I get it that it's the fourth and six and third and four and all of that, but they they should have had an effort in them to be able to overwhelm in the third period a team like Chicago. That did not feel like the comeback kids. That did not feel like, okay, watch out. This this Flames team's going to push. And that was a pretty pedestrian third period, even even after Kadri got him back within one. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot in the sort of aftermath of the loss to the Blackhawks about a comment that was made after Thursday's win in Nashville, which was a really impressive group effort from the flames and that was Blake Coleman talking about how that needs to be their recipe for success that they need all the lines and all the defense pairs contributing and and then Blake continued by saying that that can be hard that that can be a tough recipe to get everyone going and and I was thinking about that after the loss of the Blackhawks because who was going in that game? You know, if we made a list of, of guys that were maybe up to snuff a, against the Blackhawks, would we get to three, four, five? I, I'm not sure I could get that high. Yeah. And so for a kind of across the board dud like that, especially coming off what I thought was a, another really pedestrian game in Philadelphia, it just really caught me by surprise. I, I knew that the... Blackhawks would probably be because of the narrative that they'd been obviously paying attention to. I, I figured they'd be a tougher out than they were getting credit for. Yep. But Michael Backlund put it perfectly and you played it earlier. If you if you think you're a playoff team, you can't lose that game. Yep. And I, I, I do want to uh first of all say I agree. I, I, I probably I probably didn't um it was their best game of the weekend. It was. But I, <laughs> honestly, I probably didn't properly frame the Flyers game. I didn't love the Flyers game. I just liked it a whole lot more than the Blackhawks sure. game. And and it was a one, they were both one goal games, but um, it just, the, the, the way that things went in Chicago and the reaction to it and the, the fact that that Hawks team was the team that did them in, in a must win game in April of last year in a very similar circumstance where it was a bunch of who's on that team in yeah. Chicago. And they came into the saddle dome with the flames right there. The flames had just beaten Winnipeg. The flames had just put together their signature win of the season on the road. And next thing you know, that's what happened. And, and here's this situation where they had won these two huge games and they were in the mix and they had accomplished something. They were back above 500 and they had an opportunity to, Erase the Flyers game, remain above 500, and now they're back below it. And so I get I get the reactions, and I think sometimes we all can be guilty, myself included, of oh well, one game we're putting too much, we and we put too much into it, a nine one loss or a a seven two loss. They they happen every year, but you know the the narratives after those games, the takes after the, they're hotter takes after those games. 
But that one, that one just felt far too familiar, far too telegraphed. And I just wonder if it's a, if, if it's a back to reality game for the entire organization, not, not so much inside the room or the coaching staff, but I wonder if management, if that's a, a slight back to reality game, because that was game 40. There's 42 to go. They, they're, they will hit the halfway mark at the end of Tuesday's game against Ottawa. And if I can just jump in, yeah. they can't be better than 500 at halfway. At halfway. Their, right? their halfway mark at best will be a 500 team. Right. And they're 122 games into this new core. And it's been one step forward, one step back, basically the entire time. They, they, they're uh, like every time they take two or three steps forward, it's been two or three steps back to the mean. And I just, now that we're 122 games and almost halfway through season two of this new group, and I know there's a new coach and a new GM. I'm, I'm very well aware of that, but I just, I wonder if even as management, you say, yeah, maybe this is what this group is. And I just, I, I wonder if it helped solidify some decisions in terms of the way that they need to approach some big time decisions over the next number of weeks and months here. And maybe that's putting too much into one game, but I, I, I won't, I would be lying to you if I haven't had, if I, if I tell you that I hadn't had those thoughts. Well, because it's not just one game. It, it's a team now that is back below the 500 mark, right? This, this was not a, a blip on the radar. This was not a one game. Oh, geez, we didn't look like a contender out there tonight. This, this Calgary Flames team has the recipe for them to give a scare to a top team involves so many things going perfectly, right? Involves so many things going right. And so... I don't know if yesterday is necessarily a, a reality check for management. I, I would hope that reality had sort of been apparent before yesterday. And yet, I don't know how hockey ops could sit at the Saddle Dome today after what we saw over a woeful weekend and think, yeah, that this core has it. Yeah, And I don't believe that they think that. Now, I don't want to confuse that with the sort of popular social media take, which is to trade absolutely everybody out the door. You know, the answer is somewhere in the middle. But to your point, we're 120-some games into this new core. What we saw yesterday, if it doesn't completely expose what we already know, it certainly underlines the fact that this group as it's currently constructed, is not getting it done. Well, and, and the only reason I say I wonder if it's a, a bit of a reality check is because I do think that you could say that, hey, they've been playing some pretty good hockey. and I mean, they, they, Absolutely, they, they have. They, even going back to that road trip where they lost the games against Colorado and Vegas, they, they played well. Uh, they, they played well on that homestand with Tampa and, and Florida. They, they went into Anaheim and got their first shutout. Some of the even in the most recent losses prior to Philly and Chicago, you're like, yeah, you know what? I they played well against Seattle, or or they played well in that loss to Los Angeles. But then here they are with a real opportunity to do something and and to really build on getting to a goal. They took that step back, and I just wonder if that might be you know the another. Another example of that step back, you know, like yeah, that, the, and that that's fair. I that's think where you and I, I wonder if maybe they're like, huh, okay, yep, the, it happened again. We're talking about a team that's twenty sixth in the National Hockey League on points percentage this season, and so while there have been nights that you're encouraged, there's also been nights where you know one of the reality check moments for me would be that game in Los Angeles because you're right they did play well but they didn't they did not look like they were on the same Agreed. level as the Los Angeles Kings and and i guess what's most concerning about sunday is they did not appear to be on a totally different level than the Chicago Blackhawks and let's clarify or let's stress that we did not think that was a good game from the Calgary Flames yesterday i'm not talking about how them and the Blackhawks are are exact carbon copies of each other. I, I I do believe, you know, if you let them play 
20 games against each other, the Calgary Flames are, are winning 70% of those. But what I think got the fan base as fired up as it was, as I'm sure you experienced on overtime yesterday, what, what I know is sticking in the craw of so many people is that they, they were expected to look like the better hockey team yesterday. And they, they didn't. Yep. It, it, it's not just the fact they lost the game. That was a coin flip. That game was a coin flip. Yeah. That you can't have that. Not against a team that is missing nine NHLers and arguably only had ten to begin with. Yep. Um, let's hit the text line before we we pivot slightly. It's not all that much of a pivot. It's kind of very much related to this conversation, but let's hit the text line at 960 960. Uh, This says funny how last year when the Flames would lose the same phrase would come out from the players. There's too much talent in this room to perform like this. Players don't say that at all when they lose this year. This year the realization of the actual talent this team has is fully on display to both them and us mediocre at best. Sutter overachieved with the team last year and was fired. If there's a light at the end of the tunnel, it'll be a good draft pick. Sell, sell, sell. Uh, This says this team has shown time and time again they can't get it done. That's why re-signing any UFA isn't the right move. That comes from Ben on the ring road. Uh, This says, dudes, Calgary, for whatever reason, has never had a killer instinct. Uh, They're immature when it comes to winning. Uh, This says... um, it's now got to be time to admit this current team needs major change. Let's work on moving the players that are obvious to move, like those on expiring contracts, and start assembling a different-looking squad. The idea that this group, that once again can't make the playoffs need to be, needs to be preserved, is done. Time to start, start building new chemistry with new faces. Mike writes, this is what happens when you don't have a game-breaker. The Flames used to routinely crush the Blackhawks when Gaudreau and Kachuk were around. They'd score two or three goals in the first and then score again to snuff out any hope of a comeback. Is it a coincidence the Flames cannot seem to beat the Blackhawks now that those team, those guys are gone? I think not. This is from Curtis and Ogden. Guys, I've said this before. It's time for number 28 to go. Let's trade Tanev as much as I hate that, and I hate to see number 55 go, but so be it. This team will not get past the 500 mark without these major changes, and people keep talking about how maybe Jersey's a possibility as a destination for Markstrom. I'd look into that for sure, too. Um, would he actually agree to that trade? I don't know, but that comes from Curtis in Ogden. Uh, Sean says, I've been a Flames fan for over 25 years, and the Flames have historically lost most of the games against inferior teams at the worst times. Chicago last year, Ottawa in the shortened season. Um, this says, uh, having to constantly use extra effort in order to make up for the team's lack of skill will make this team play tired quite frequently. That's the point that you were making, uh, about Blake Coleman's comments following the win in, uh, Nashville, right? Right. Uh, and this says time for Connor to put his stamp on this franchise in a suit instead of in a Jersey, enough of the purgatory, burn it down. The 2025 draft should be a banger for the flames. So I go from those texts to this. Because I don't know if what happened on the weekend solidifies or changes or cements any type of thinking or approach when it comes to the pending unrestricted free agents. But the I, I will say that the Noah Hannafin narrative roller coaster has returned because here we are again talking about it again. Early in the season, extension close, imminent. We were all waiting for news. And then both sides backed away. It was my understanding that kind of what what was the catalyst for that was, you know, cold feet on the Hannafin side of like, ah, you know, maybe I'm not quite ready to do this. And so both sides backed away. And now we're hearing it might. And I stress might be coming back the other way. Here's uh, It started with Elliot Friedman on Saturday headlines over the weekend. And here's Elliot on Monday's 32 Thoughts with a little bit more. It's wild. He had a big extension at the beginning of the year. And in the neighborhood of 60 million. And after a couple losses, he kind of changed his mind. They, they had a verbal agreement, basically. He changed his mind and it went away. And they saw what the market was for him. And now I heard they're talking again. And, you know, there, there's, there's differing degrees of belief on how significant there is. There are some people who think that. There have been some momentum. There are some people who say it's not really a huge change from before. It was always open. But I thought when that extension didn't happen at the beginning of the year, any chance that Hannafin was staying was over. 
and you know he still might get, end up getting traded but I, I i don't think it's over i don't think it's a hundred percent a guarantee and the one thing about hannafin is he's younger he's 27 so i think there's a feeling that there's there's it makes sense in some ways maybe to keep him now again as i said saturday night that's no guarantee and we'll see where things go closer to the deadline but you know one thing i really thought was that there was no chance he was going to stay in calgary and i had a couple people telling me on the weekend it's it's not no chance i think there's there's a possibility but I, I don't know how to handicap it. I, I really don't. So that is Elliot Friedman on the latest 32 Thoughts with Jeff Merrick, available wherever you get your podcasts right now. That's a Monday's uh, edition. Lots more in there. Nylander News, of course. It's a, it's a loaded 32 Thoughts. Um, Eric Francis and I got into the merits of this a little bit, uh, a lot actually, on Friday's Eric Francis Hour. Um, and, and my feel when this was brought up, my feel is on Hannafin more than any of the other pending UFAs, you're as close to a win-win in this situation as you're going to get. In that, while I think that there is a value offset conversation, and I think that there is a debate to be had about is it better to trade or better, I don't think, in, in my eyes, it's not like a clear, no questions asked. Well, it's clearly better to trade or clearly better to re-sign I'm kind of 55-45. I lean towards trading as still being best for the organization. But if they went the other way, I don't think at any point you're going to look at a, a contract extension for a guy like Hannafin and say, ah, that's a mistake. Or I, we, you regret that if you're the Flames. Or how could they think about doing that? Hannafin's a hell of a defenseman, and he's still young and potentially wants to be here. So I think there is value in that. So... That's why I say I'm like 55-45 towards trading him because I still think that that is where you're going to get the most value out of this. But I also think there's a significant amount of value if you decide to keep the player. So I do think you're in a win-win-ish situation if you're the Flames with this one. I am curious to see where this one plays out, though, because the last time it was close, and we don't know if it is close or not now, the last time it was close... Noah kind of backed away is is what we were led to believe. And then that led to, that didn't directly lead to, but then all the contract conversations got put on hiatus. Right. And and the sort of losing skid at, at that point had a obviously big impact yes. on, on, I think, how both sides were feeling. You know, what makes the Hannafin as, as close as you're going to get to a win-win for the franchise is the fact he's 27 years old. If you're talking about a, an extension, it's still taking him into, or, or about a max term extension, eight years. It's still taking him into his mid thirties, but unlike Elias Lindholm, for example, unlike the guys you've already locked up in Kadri and Huberto, you're not taking, and, and Mackenzie Weger as well. You're not taking him into his late thirties. Yep. You know, that being said, at some point, you need to impact some change with the core. And this is a, a really tricky spot for Craig Conroy as he deals with these pending UFAs because you don't want to see good players go. And yet, at some point, you can't keep banging your head against the same wall and thinking it's going to change. And so the one thing I, I would stress is this. Yeah, yeah. We heard from Elliot Friedman who knows what's going on in the hockey world better than anyone else, that there have been conversations between Hannafin and the Flames. Don't be surprised if you hear similar about Elias Lindholm and Chris Tanev, because these trade decisions get made in a 96 or 72-hour window right before the March 8th deadline in some cases. Yep. And Craig Conroy wouldn't be doing his job properly if he didn't know the other side of that equation, which is what would it cost us to keep this player? And are we willing to pay the going rate on an extension? Because we either have to extend them or trade them. And so it wouldn't make sense for Craig Conroy not to be circling back to find out what the interest is in staying, what the financial ask is at this point. Like that, that's just good business. But as you look down the road and knowing you're going to have to extend Rasmus Anderson next and, and 
I don't I don't know, seven point five million for a guy that I, I think is a really strong mid pairing defenseman, second pairing defenseman, a guy whose skating is going to help him age as well as anyone on the roster. Yeah, there's merit to keeping Noah Hannafin, but what's gonna change? What how are you gonna impact change with this current core? And that has at some point you have to start doing that. Yeah. And and that is part of why I lean towards trading. Yeah. There's a few other reasons. I I do worries the wrong word, but like it is somewhat like it, I I can't I can't separate myself from the back and forth, right? Like if it twice, was twice, right? It, exactly. Because in the summer it was a very similar storyline. Yeah. Yeah. And if if and I, this is not a criticism of Noah at all because Noah has gone about his business as a straight up consummate pro and and he is extremely well liked and respected inside that room. Uh, I've got nothing but good things to say about the guy and the player. I really, but how much like is this where you no questions asked want to be, or how much is it the the financial incentive right like, and if there's been this feeling that. Maybe I want to play closer to home, south the border, give that a try. How much of a factor is signing here, but it maybe not being your no questions asked number one choice. And and that I can't stop thinking about that in this. And I also can't stop thinking about the enormous return that I think is right there for the Flames if they decide to deal them. Well, and what the Calgary Flames can't do and what they've had to do in seasons past with different players is throw more money at Noah Hannafin to change his mind. If if you get the sense that Noah Hannafin wants to stay in Calgary because he thinks he'll get more money here than anywhere else, that's not a good enough reason. And, and that's not to say Noah Hannafin can't base a, a major life-changing decision on, on where he'll earn the most for his talents. That That's completely his prerogative. But the Calgary Flames can't be overpaying to keep players at this point in their evolution or at, at this point on the road. And so I, I just think that's why I point out that you're going to hear about these conversations with all these players. Part of what Craig Conroy is doing is, is gauging what the trade market looks like. The mm-hmm. other part of what he has to do is understand if he phones Noah Hannafin 72 hours before the trade deadline because he's not finding a trade offer to his liking. He needs to know what the framework of the extension looks yep. like. And you know who else wants to know what the framework of an extension looks like? Teams that might be interested yep. in trading for yep. him. And so, of course, these conversations have kicked up. But I just can't imagine how Craig is sleeping these days. Like these, when we talk about the three big ones, and, and more so Hannafin and Lindholm because of the fact that if those deals are getting done, they're eight-year extensions. You know, these are massive decisions that the GM has to make. They're, they're decisions that if he does make them, immediately make his team worse. But how are you going to impact change? Yep. And it's easy for us to say. We don't answer to the owner. You know, We don't necessarily live and die with the wins and losses. But at some point, where's the change happen? Read a few more texts as uh, we wrap up. Good start to the program. Uh, this says, why would he want to stay here or in reality anyone else when their history shows they've basically been a sub 500 team and that's probably what they're going to be in the future. Uh, this says seven is the new five in the new cap and my worry is you give up Hannafin and all you're doing is hoping to get a Hannafin back but he has to want to be here. This flip-flopping gives me a slight sour taste. This says, that's my question. Does he really want to be here? I mean, he's got to want to win, but there's no way it's happening here for the foreseeable future. This says the Flames still need someone to play defense for them, even if they go the retool route. Having Hannafin to help whoever else they bring in on the back end, a back end rather, isn't a bad thing. Uh, Can I I just jump in on that one? Because I I think if you're willing to trade Hannafin, you have a potential to bring in a bigger piece on, you know, a brighter young talent on the back end than you would by trading a Chris Tanev because that's more of a rental type 
proposition, right? I think if you trade Noah Hannafin, you have to be looking to recoup a young defenseman as part of that deal. It's a uh, fascinating conversation, um, and I'm curious how this one plays out. Obviously, it uh, is going to play out here sometime in uh, the next two months. It's January 8th, and the trade deadline is March 8th. So TikTok. Countdown and, and not set. that cool app that the kids are using. No, this one's uh, an clock. ominous clock yeah. that is uh, running into The grandfather March. clock. We're old enough to remember those. I do. I do remember those, and they're creepy. He <laughs> is uh, Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. This hour of Flames Talk is underway. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, new week's underway, and it's time for our Monday Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport at Steinberg. Wes Gilbertson of Post Media, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Monday Daily Flames roundtable. Uh, Wilsey, we uh, didn't have an opportunity to get to this in the first half of the hour, so really wanted to make sure we spend some time on it with you in the roundtable. And that is some uh, positive news. Jacob Pelche has been assigned to the American League's Calgary Wranglers. That is a regular assignment. He is there to go practice to start and eventually get into some games. Kevin Rooney will be sent there on Tuesday in the same way if he clears waivers, which, uh, as we're talking right now, he is currently on. So both guys have been cleared for contact. Both guys are ready to return to being on the ice with teammates. Still a few weeks away from impacting the NHL roster. Um, but this is a uh, positive development. We knew it was coming at some point and uh, definitely some positive news to see a couple of players getting closer to making their season debuts with the flames. Yeah, it sure is. And I'm sure they're tired of sitting up in the press box at Scotiabank Saddledome watching games with us as much as I've enjoyed uh, stopping by and having a quick chat with those guys since uh, they got injured at the start of the season. But exciting because you think about the impact that uh, some young players have had on this team this year, primarily Connor Zeri and to a little bit lesser extent, Martin Pospisil. And I think Jacob Pelche can come in and, and have that type of impact as well. Maybe not uh, putting up the same type of goal and point totals that Zeri has in his rookie season. But when you look at what he did in his first, what, 24, if I can remember correctly, career NHL games for the Flames last season three goals and seven points but uh, a guy who they did use on the power play at times so uh, I think you bring in a guy like Jacob Pelche once he's done with his conditioning stint and, and hopefully it goes well and uh, for his sake quickly because I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to get back to the NHL but you know he's a guy who you can play certainly in your bottom six uh, you can use on special teams and who is like uh, the Energizer Bunny he's just full of energy on the ice and off the ice, and, and I think that can be infectious. And, you know, even Kevin Rooney, I kind of had him penciled in as the Flames' fourth-line centerman to start the season. And when you look at uh, how their fourth-line centermen have struggled, uh, primarily Adam Ruzitska, who is really fighting it right now, and even Dylan Dubé, who has struggled both at center and on the right side of that fourth line, uh, I think it creates some more internal competition. Both guys do. So, uh, only positives as far as those two guys and, and the team is concerned with them getting closer to turning to play. Yeah, absolutely. This this can't be viewed organizationally or, or for these two players as anything but a positive. I was hanging around Winsport this morning, and uh, I'll tell you, I've never seen a guy as excited to be on waivers as Kevin ah. Rooney. And that's <laughs> because he's been waiting close to four months for an opportunity to get back around a team and to skate with someone other than Jacob Pelche and, and Oliver Shillington. And it was the three of them sort of skating together as both Pelche and Rooney recovered from these shoulder injuries. And Wilsey, I think you raise a great point in terms of what that competition can potentially mean for the Flames once these two guys get up to speed. We saw when Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil first came up from the Wranglers, I think we saw the 
boost of what that internal competition could mean. And unfortunately, what we've seen is is a couple of guys really fall behind in that so-called competition. You know, Dylan Dubé, without a point in 20 games, looks like a guy who's ready to come out of the lineup. He's, he's a guy, I should say, with a a very weak grasp on a spot in the every night lineup. We've seen Adam Ruzichka now come out twice of late as a healthy scratch. We didn't see a lot of AJ Greer and Walker Dewar yesterday in Chicago for good reason, because neither of them were providing energy against a team that was sort of brimming with it. And so what you get with Kevin Rooney and Jacob Pelche as options in whatever number of weeks that is, is a couple guys who can now put pressure on those guys for a spot in the lineup. Yeah, Dylan Dubé is going to have to start to play better to stay in. Yeah, I, I realize he's not playing very much, but he needs to produce something in the ice time that he's getting. Same with Adam Rizicka. Those guys have been really underwhelming of late. And to have a couple of guys who are now going to push them for their spots in the 12, that's a good thing. I, I mean, it's 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 awesome news just because I, I know how I I know how disappointed, for instance, Kevin was when the shoulder injury happened because he felt like he was having a really strong training camp. I remember talking to him at Windsport, I want to say t- two days before. Um, and he reiterated this to me today. So it's still bugging him. Which not the shoulder, the fact that he wasn't able to build on that yeah. momentum, and and it should bug him because I, I remember talking to him after a uh, uh, we we talked to him after a preseason game on the road, and then the next day I followed up with him on something that was really interesting that he said, and we had a uh, a good conversation, and and he was feeling like like he was vibrating during the conversation about how good he felt at camp, how much of a new lease on life he had with Ryan Huska as the head coach. And, you know, because he was in Daryl's doghouse for a lot of the time last year. And and that eventually um, culminated with him being sent to the Wranglers in the second half. So, you know, here's a guy who felt like he had a new lease on life and felt like he was making the most of it in camp. And then a shoulder injury happens and he misses half of a season. And now he's finally ready to get back. And yeah, Wilsey, you, you, you took the words right out of my mouth when I take a look at the struggles the fourth line has had as a whole this season and how relatively ineffective it's been on most nights and and AJ Greer's been great and and has been a real revelation for the team but you know at center ice that's been a real that's been a real issue Rizicka hasn't been able to grasp hold of it and make it his own and when Dubé's gotten shots down the middle he hasn't been able to grasp hold of it and make it his own and the fourth line has kind of been a throwaway line far too often this year where it's like, yeah, we got to rest the other three and these guys got that. That's not what you need from your fourth line. So if Rooney can be an upgrade at four C, then that's good news. And obviously we know what Pelche brings to the lineup and we know the, the intangibles that he adds in the shot in the arm. So Maybe it's maybe it's late January, maybe it's early February. I, I do know that they like you take a look at it, they're gonna have to make some room on the roster to make these things happen. So a trade or a waiver assignment may need to happen. They're not sending Zerry down. So they're 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 gonna have to make some moves. And so they also have bought themselves some time by sending both these players to the American League. But it's positive, and it'll help the Wranglers. There's no doubt about that. Trent Cull will be thrilled to have some reinforcements, and then when they're ready to play in the NHL, I, I think they'll both be potential upgrades in their roles uh, in terms of what the Flames are doing. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely not sending Zeri down, and I don't think they're sending Pospisil down. I don't think he would clear guys because he's the type of player who I think uh, teams would probably like to add for free heading towards the playoffs because he doesn't have to score goals and produce points to be effective with the way he skates and bangs and crashes. He leads the team and hits. He's been uh, a nice fit on that cadre in the kids line. And uh, I think there have been a handful of players. Those two guys aren't among them, of course, but a handful of players who have been given a lot longer leash than they would have been had Jacob Peltier and Kevin Rooney been healthy. So again, internal competition is a good thing but it could be a bad thing for some of those guys. Uh, I mean, A.J. Greer, I give him a pass. Didn't have a good game against the Blackhawks. I believe he played uh, less than five minutes, his lowest time on ice since the Flames 
claimed him on waivers from the Bruins at the start of the season. But for the most part, he's been a really consistent player in his role. So I, I give him a pass for one bad game. But, you know, Adam Rzhitska has really struggled. And even though Dylan Dubé appears to be working hard uh, almost every night, he's not accomplishing anything. And coming off a career year and after being first in fitness testing for the third straight season, I expected him to take another step forward this year. So I'm not sure what's going on with him. Uh, confidence is uh, probably at the core of it. And, and even Walker Dewar, he, he looks like a completely different player this season than he did last. When I thought he was going to be a guy not just playing on the fourth line for the Flames this season, but pushing to, to maybe move into the top nine. So uh, the heat's on those guys with Pelche and uh, Rooney coming back, hopefully sometime soon. And uh, again, I think that's a good thing for everybody involved and, and hopefully it lights a bit of a fire under those guys and they start playing better and, and make Ryan Huska's decisions tougher. We uh, we've been waiting a while already for the answer to this one. And, and I do want to stress that I, I think Jacob Pelche is still a matter of weeks away from Agreed. being an option for the NHL lineup, especially, you know, I am curious, Jacob's 22, obviously still a young player in the league. I'm curious about what his next step looks like because while there were flashes of it and the energy he provided in 24 games as a rookie was, you know, a big boost sort of to the flames in, in just the spark that I, I think he brought. What we haven't seen yet is him translate the offense that he's had at the right. minor league level yeah. to the National Hockey League. This is a player with 99 points in 101 AHL games. So essentially a point per game player just shy of it at the minor league level, seven points in 24 games in the NHL. And that was playing with good line mates in Jonathan Huberto and Nazem Kadri for a stretch as well. So I, I've been waiting to see whether Jacob Pelche could bring more offensively than we saw out of him last season. And, and I'm anxious to get the answer to that one because I think it's going to help the Calgary Flames figure out where exactly to slot him in, in the bigger picture. Right. Well, and the uh, the other really important thing is when when stressing that, yeah, I, I also think it's a matter of weeks, is that they want to make sure, not just from a physical standpoint, but they want to make sure, like I, I know the organization wants to, to give Jacob the best possible opportunity to enter the NHL lineup and be good and, and like enter the NHL lineup and help and, and be given the best possible opportunity to prove that this is where he belongs once again, because he has, he's, he's, that's, that's a big time hit in a young player's development, losing half a season with a, with shoulder surgery. So I also think even from a physical standpoint, now that he's been cleared, I think they're going to kid glove this one just to make sure that they're like, yep, he's ready. Let's wait another week and then make sure he's really ready so that he's jumping back in and, and, you know, he's ready to hit hit the ground running when it comes to uh, his time in the NHL. So uh, it's our daily flames round table with Derek Wills and Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. Um, Okay, from a, a positive to a negative, I wanted to start the roundtable positively. Uh, unfortunately, we can't ignore what happened Sunday in Chicago. Um, and and I'll be honest, it, it feels like one of the more... Um, it, it, it's it, the, That loss to the Blackhawks feels like it's carrying more gravity than a lot of other losses do. How come, gents? And, and, and maybe if you guys don't feel that way, uh, push back there too, but... How how come it feels like a bigger loss? Is it is it just because of Chicago's roster and who they lost to? Is it the missed opportunity? Is it the repeating of history? Like what what makes it for so many uh, such a a bigger loss than maybe other losses have felt like this year? Well, I wish I could forget what happened in both Chicago and Miami on Sunday. Uh, unfortunately, uh, easier said than done. But as far as the Flames losing to the Blackhawks. Remember during the pandemic when they just couldn't seem to figure out how to beat the Senators? And it probably cost them a playoff spot. And then I think back to last season, guys. So the Flames finished two points behind the Jets for the second wildcard spot of the Western Conference. You, you can say they finished three points out of a playoff spot because uh, they would have lost the tiebreakers. So uh, let's say they finished three points out. They were 0-3-0. and in three games against the Blackhawks team that was really trying hard to get the most ping pong ball so they could get their hands on Connor Bedard, which 
worked out for them anyway. They finished uh, tied for second last in the overall standings last year, but then won the NHL's draft lottery and got uh, a guy who looks like uh, potentially a generational player. So the fact that they were 0-3-0 against the Blackhawks last year, and you could argue that cost them a Stanley Cup playoff spot, and then went into a game against them yesterday knowing that because uh, there are a lot of guys who are with the team this season that were also with the team last season. And then taking a look at the, the lineup and seeing that the Blackhawks were not only without nine regulars, but they were without nine of their top players. And with all due respect, they looked as much like the Rockford Ice Hogs as they did the Chicago Blackhawks on paper. But we talked about it pregame. The, the one thing that I was worried about was the Flames taking a look at that lineup and saying, well, this should be a walk in Millennium Park, which is a, a beautiful spot in downtown Chicago. So uh, the fact that they probably took them too lightly uh, was the first problem. I actually said on the broadcast, I didn't think it was a horrible thing that the Flames gave up the first goal in that game because I thought it could be a wake-up call. And for a while it was. Then they took a 2-1 lead and appeared to be in control of the hockey game. But the Blackhawks kept coming and working and eventually just found a way to win that hockey game. So disappointing because it was an opportunity for the Flames who won the first two games of a, a tough four-game road trip, a couple of proverbial four-pointers against the Wild and the Predators to come home above 500 in the win-loss column and to come home tied at least points-wise for the final playoff spot in the Western Conference. Just a missed opportunity, guys. And when you start 2-7-1, and one, and put yourself behind the eight ball and don't give yourself a lot of wiggle room, let's be honest, you can't lose many of those games. Wilsey, I do have to disagree with one thing you just said because uh, I thought what happened last night in Miami was terrific. As a uh, Buffalo Bills fan, I, I was so fired up I could have ran 95 yards, just not as fast as Deontay Hardy did. Wow. But... I agree with everything you said about... I cried 95 gallons, Wes. <laughs> well, I'm glad you were hydrating then, buddy. I feel uncomfortable. I agree with everything you said about last yesterday afternoon in Chicago. And, and you know, to answer Pat's question, I, I was thinking about, well, what did make it such a gut punch for the Flames? And the simplest way I can put it is the... It was the way it happened. It, it was who it was against and how it happened. And by that, I mean, they didn't get goalied by Peter Mrazek. They didn't outplay the Chicago Blackhawks and, and wind up with a loss that they deserved a better fade in. How, how it happened was they didn't look better than one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. And I think that's what makes it such a concerning loss for the Calgary Flames. And, and the other thing that I, I think made it such a, um, you know, such a, a a loss with that type of gravitas, gravitas was that it was a pattern repeater and mm -hmm. there were too many people who were proven right on it. I saw it on, on social going into the game. I saw it on our text line going into the game. Like, yep, you know, this is scheduled loss. They're going to lose this one. This is when they always, and I was like, no, the, I, no, they, they got this one. I mean, look at that roster and the, the opportunity and all, all these. I, I really didn't think it was going to happen, and, and it did. And the fact that there were so many people who saw it coming and that this last 120-plus games of this group of Flames, this this core group, the new core of, of Flames, have done this as many times as they have, given you hope giving you things to really be encouraged by in the way that they've played and then take those steps back. You know, we're 122 games in since the start of last season now. And the one step back, one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, vice versa. Like every time there's a, a big winning streak, you can count. It, it feels like you can count on something coming back to counteract that. And I think that maybe is why this one, to me anyway, felt more than, you know, just a, a loss in game 40 of the regular season. It just, it did feel like a gut punch because of the opportunity was uh, that was there. And, and maybe the opportunity even to change a bit of a narrative that we've gotten too used to. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. And Pat, thanks for texting me and uh, pointing out that the Flames were actually 0-2-1 versus the Blackhawks last season. Uh, I don't know why I had 0-3-0 in my head, I guess. Uh, Zero wins and three losses, but one out of a possible six points against one of the three worst teams in the league, not good enough. And losing to a team that was 31st overall with Connor Bedard and a number of their top players healthy, again, no excuse for the Flames, and they know it. And they could have won that game yesterday, but the bottom line is they didn't win that game yesterday. And Wes, you brought up Peter Morazic. I actually thought he looked shaky for most of the afternoon. There were times yeah. where he was backwards in his crease, spinning around like a top, and, and the Flames just couldn't take advantage. And uh, it was one of those games where uh, you hope at the end of the season you don't look back and say, if only we could have that one back. And we'll have to wait and see where the season goes from here. But just they worked so hard to get to above 500 with that big win over the Predators uh, in game two of this four-game road trip. Uh, and it was the first time they had been above 500 since they were 2-1-1 one, and one to start the season. I think that was back on October 19th. And it, it felt like they had finally got over the hump. And I said it when they won that game. I said it uh, before their game against the Flyers, which, again, they had a couple of one-goal leads in that game and could have won that game, maybe should have won that game. And let it slip away, and I can give them a pass for that because it was a desperate Flyers team that was trying to turn things around for themselves and playing at home, and and they played a desperate brand of hockey and, and quite frankly, deserved to win that hockey game. So you can live with that if you bounce back. And and what is a tough back-to-back? I mean, two matinee matchups in a row is is difficult, not the toughest travel going from Philadelphia to Chicago, but still a tight turnaround. But, man, oh, man, you're playing against the Blackhawks team that – I think the most recognizable name on their roster yesterday was actually Peter Morazic, which says something, doesn't it? I mean, no Connor Bedard, and uh, they had nine of their top players out. That's a game the Flames have to find a way to win by mm-hmm. hook or by crook. And even if you win 3-2 in a shootout, you still come home with two points. You still come home above 500 in the win-loss column. You still come home tied for the final wild card spot in the Western Conference. But now, instead, you're a game below 500 in the win-loss column. You're still two points out, and, and that's the second biggest problem they have, in my opinion, because, yeah, they're two points behind the Oilers, the Blues, and the Kraken, but you've got the Coyotes one point ahead of the Flames, and you've got four teams who all have games in hand between you and that second wildcard spot. So every point matters for this Flames team right now. They didn't get two against a Blackhawks team they should have, so now they're going to have to get two against uh, a team that they maybe shouldn't uh, to, to make up for that. Thank you, Wilsey. We'll talk to you on a game day from the Dome on Tuesday. Thanks, pal. Yeah, and just quickly, doesn't this kind of feel like just an extension of the four-game road trip for the Flames who play one at home and then yeah, go kinda. right back on the road? Actually, what a weird schedule. Bizarre. It actually feels more game, like a, a seven-game road game trip. Game five on. of the trip yeah, in yeah. Calgary. Yeah, they come Stupid. back here, then they're off. At least they're not in a hotel. They'll have home cooking for two days and then back to hotels. You're right. It might have been easier just to stay on the road, quite frankly. Yeah. But uh, it is what it is, and we'll see you guys at the Saddle Dome tomorrow. Thank you, Wilsey. There's Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll start to wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. Thanks to Cam Hughes and Shan Vergie, our producers, on this Monday as well. And the Daily Flames Roundtable is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport.